Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Talking Engagement, the show that sheds a bit of light on what's happening in the world of HR right now. Um, just want to give a quick thank you to absolutely everybody who's downloaded and listened to the podcast. It's wonderful to get all of these great comments. It makes me feel like this is really a worthwhile thing that I'm doing. And please do make sure that you are following all the guests who have appeared on the previous episodes. And speaking of guests, I have two on the show today. I have the incredible Claire Chambers and the wonderful Joe Chapman. Claire and Joe have just started their own organization that is called Curious Jellyfish, an absolutely amazing name. I'll sure you'll agree. And what Claire and Joe have done is gone out to a large amount of MDs, CEOs, and some people from the HR community, and they've asked them, what is going on right now? What can we expect the future to look like with regards to things like flexible working? What's the future of the office looking like? And um, what does what does rather things like having all your employees working from home or working flexibly or kind of all in sort of disparate places? What does that do to your organizational culture? Well, if you're curious and you want to know, I suggest that you spend the next sort of half an hour, 45 minutes with Joe, Claire and I to find out. Thank you again to Claire and Joe for coming on. So with no further ado, please welcome Claire and Joe from Curious Jellyfish. All right, we are live, so to speak. Claire, Joe, welcome to Talking Engagement. Thank you very much for joining me. Hello, Ben. Hello. Great stuff. So for anyone who hasn't heard of you both, do you want to give us a quick run through of who you both are and what you do? Yeah, I'm Claire. Um, I live uh, just outside York uh, in the north of in the north of the country. Um, I'm passionate about helping organisations align their people with their purpose and also their ambitions for their customers. Um, my background is marketing, communications and strategy and I would say probably the last 15 years I've been working with organisations and teams to help them you know, work on things to do with their organisation, their culture, how they engage their people, their leaders, how they actually become more customer-centric organisations. That's what drives me, that's what I love doing um, and that's sort of how Joe and I came to meet actually. Yeah, so Claire and I worked together in a large corporate organisation doing all things culture and engagement um, and decided then to set up on our own as, as Curious Jellyfish. And my background's been finance into commercial, into culture and transformation, etc. all things people. Um, really want to create places where people can do their best work and succeed because I've been in situations where it's not been a great environment and I haven't been able to do my best work, so... I wanted to change that for others. Fantastic. Well, I think I am well and truly convinced that I have uh, two of the best possible people for the purpose of this podcast. We are all about uh, actionable insights that help make your culture better and and make work better for everybody. So I'm really excited to have you both on. Um, So I suppose we'll kick off with uh, a little bit of the work that I know Curious Jellyfish have have been doing. So if you want to give us a little lead into Curious Jellyfish as a whole, that's fine. But I understand that you guys have... I understand that you've both, excuse me, been conducting <laughs> some research uh, as it relates to what the future of work might look like. And is there anything that you can share with us? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we did some research because we wanted to really tap into what organisations were going through 
and how they were responding so we could able enable kind of that reflection and obviously Claire and I are in large corporations at the moment so we wanted to get underneath the skin of that and see see what was really happening so um we surveyed about 250 people we spoke to around 30 CEOs and MDs in in terms of in-depth interviews and there was I mean there was loads of things that came out and trying to distill it was actually the difficult part but there were there were a load of positives as well Ben because mm. I think and you know everybody was in panic mode initially but when we we look back and reflect on it there were kind of four key themes which I think can be really positive and we can take a lot away from that so Theme one was around the increased connection to the team and the organization. So there's definite kind of camaraderie and bringing people together. I mean, people had one kind of purpose, which was to keep the business alive and to stay safe. I think that definitely kind of increased those connections. And there was an amplification of trust and empowerment because people were working from home or virtual working, etc. A lot of decisions had to be made. And people gave more trust and, you know, more accountability and empowerment, which I think is something that we'd want to see more of. I'm sure many people would agree. The third theme was around the acceleration of strategy. So not just digital strategy. We know, you know, we had thousands of people working from home overnight in many organizations, but also customer and brand strategy, putting those elements at the forefront of the decision making um, and then the fourth one, I don't think it's a surprise to many people, but that remote working is not the panacea. So, you know, it's not a one size fits all. Um, people are in different situations that we need to take account of. Um, but on the whole, people are enjoying more flexibility. So those were kind of the four key themes. Um, and then we wanted to start to try and understand how do people maintain these positives and what do they learn from it? That's kind of a bit of a summary of our research. Claire, is there anything you wanted to add? No, it's a great summary, Joe. really great summary. I mean, one of the things that we were really keen to was try and look for the positives and the opportunities that organisations could use the crisis rather than um, seeing everything in a, in a negative light. But how could they actually learn from stuff? What sort of experiments did it force them to have to take? What things did they have to try knew that maybe they not wanted to do before or been reluctant to do that so um, part of our findings and our report is trying to get organizations to think differently a little about some of those things and how they can you know take confidence from that and try some new things pay attention to those things a bit more maybe yeah I think that's a really interesting um, it's a really interesting tack to take with people because I think I've had people say to me certainly that you know things like moving to remote working and things have kind of been part of a five-year plan for an organization and then they've had to kind of fit it into something like five months so you know you sort of touched on it there Joe in the sense that you know necessity becoming the mother of invention for a lot of these initiatives and it seems like for some people, there's a real clamor to sort of put all this to one side and let's just focus on bringing sort of our organization back to how it was. And for others, it seems to, you know, almost be an opportunity to build on things and, and to kind of take the learnings. And I think that one of the ways in which, well, no, sorry, what is interesting is how, you know, you, you, have taken the positive tack on it, you know, and it's not been a case of let's use this as an opportunity to, you know, hide away, batten down the hatches, stay siloed. It's an opportunity to actually experiment and sort of push the boundaries of, of what can work and what can be beneficial going forward. 
Yeah, and I think on that, Ben, I think a lot of people talk about the future of work and like, oh, we need to define the future of work. And actually the future of work is whatever we, we want it to be. <laughs> you know, yeah. in every single organization, we've all got choices and people have choices about how they run the organization and, and what that working pattern looks like. And it's really up to us as individuals and, you know, as part of larger organizations to say, how do we want to work going forward? What has worked really well? what hasn't and then how do we maintain or amplify that and I think that's what Claire was talking about in terms of intention and awareness of what has worked well. Mm. I think one of the other things uh, just to uh, just to kind of touch on this very briefly uh, was that um, it was kind of CEOs and and MDs that that you both spoke with because you know primarily the people that that I speak to they're kind of more I suppose, more ingrained in the HR focus uh, of the organization. But of course, you know, I'm sure you'd both agree that kind of that, that culture and that people centricity has to start sort of at the very top, top of the organization, as it were. Um, so, you know, did you guys, did you both find that sort of the MDs and the CEOs that you spoke to were really clued in when it came to this type of thing? Or were they canvassing opinion from the rest of the business as it related to the answers that they gave? I think it was I think it was mixed I think generally I'd say everybody we spoke to was certainly very focused on their people and very comfortable talking about what they've been learning what they've been experiencing um, and and very happy to chat about watch outs and things that they had concerns about there was some some great honesty from some of them around how they've been very reluctant to adopt remote working mm. and let people remote work how they didn't expect themselves to be able to work in that way um, and that they'd been totally reversed their their opinions of it. Um, there was definitely um, there was definitely a focus on people. There was a definitely a focus on thinking how do we how do we actually move forward in this way? A lot of a lot of them said we can't go back to how it was before. We don't think it works to go back, but actually we're not quite sure how to go forward and make this part of how we work normally. Um, so I don't, I don't know, Joe. was there anything that struck you about the conversations um, with, with some of the people that we, that we did speak to? Yeah, I think one of the things was actually how it seemed to me that they were quite in tune with their people. So that they'd had a lot of conversations around you know, mental health, how people were coping. And they also recognized that not everyone is in the same position. So a lot of the people, as you can imagine, CEOs and MDs, you know, have an office, have space that they can work at home mm-hmm. very comfortably, um, whereas, whereas others don't. Um, but they did recognize that. I think it was interesting, when we spoke to um, leaders in manufacturing organizations and service organizations, obviously there's, there's some people that can't work from home because they're out on the road mm-hmm. um, or in customers' homes or in the factory, et cetera. So there was a very real recognition that there could be a bit of a them and us type of uh, mentality arising from the office people being able to work from home and then others having to kind of face, face that. Yeah. Sorry, Claire. And I, think, I do think quite a lot of them mentioned it felt like much more of a leveller, particularly the use of um, video um, and communications and the fact that people were sitting in their kitchens or their bedrooms or, or their offices at home, etc. Um, and that all the normal artefacts of, you know, status and leadership, etc. had all, had, had all disappeared. Um, and I think people found that 
um, engaging, but also um, found it easier to connect with people. And a lot of leaders, I think, talked about their engagement scores and things, which is quite interesting. You don't always see that as the first thing that that they talk about, but there did seem to be a sense of, of pride in what they'd been doing and how they'd allowed themselves to focus on their people and think differently. And there was one um, one person we spoke to who was running a manufacturing company who'd said, look, we're absolutely thankful and can't believe how our employees worked so hard and were so flexible and had kept this organisation going. And we feel we want to recognise and reward that. And, and was really honest about saying we haven't maybe looked after them as well as we should have done in the past. We've maybe not talked to them about how they would like to work. We know we're going to need them in the factory, but what does flexibility look like for them? So I definitely felt like a lot of the leaders we spoke to were more awake to the needs of their people. And actually, this was a moment in time to start to think about things differently, that they could think about things differently, that it's okay to actually think about your people and put them first as well. So I felt quite lifted by that. Um, And I felt quite lifted that quite a lot of the leaders didn't necessarily know how they were going to address some of those things either. And we would definitely encourage them to keep talking to your people, you know, because together you'll work it out and you'll work out what the right things are to do. But um, yeah, I think we were quite inspired by some of the conversations we had weren't we joe gives gives me hope for the future (laughs) (laughs) no absolutely i i love hearing that i think that um more organizations getting together and sort of using teamwork and real employee feedback for basing future decisions and change on is is absolutely the way forward i want to go back to something that you mentioned there joe Uh, so you talked about uh, sort of higher um you know advocacy scores and that sort of increased feeling of camaraderie and things so we would probably see that you know, that's to me in my world, and I'm, I'm sure to you both, well, that, that's the ENPS score that we're talking about there or amongst the, you know, you could summarize it in that. I mean, is it as simple as sort of a, a sense of it's, it's that camaraderie, it's, it's we're all in it, in it together. Do you think that was sort of one of the, that's the big inspiration behind that? And I suppose the flip question to that is that should organizations be prepared for sort of a what goes up must come down sort of swing mm. in that as well? Yeah, I think in in terms of what's driven it, I think it is, and the you know people say a crisis brings out the best in teams, don't they? Mm-hmm. And and I, and I think it is quite evident that it has. So it's the camaraderie. I think it's the purpose, you know, galvanizing it everybody together. I think it's been the increased communication. So a lot of organisations have really ramped up talking to their people, both in terms of frequency uh, and also in terms of honesty and transparency mm-hmm. so i think there's a multitude of things there that can account for the higher emps scores and engagement scores um and i think that kind of what goes up must come down um i don't think that's the case i think people <laughs> i think there's a danger of that especially because what we've seen is that it could be just a temporary thing. So people have viewed it and, and kind of through the whole crisis, it was this crisis will be over. We will get back to normal. So the adrenaline of a, of a crisis can, you know, can mm-hmm. spike. And then there's, a, then there's a dip afterwards. So, so there's that to be aware of. And I think it's for organizations to pay attention to the drivers of their EMPS and be really deliberate about how to maintain it. Um, Claire, I don't know whether you've got anything to add on that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a brilliant question, Ben, um, because um, I think lots of organisations have seen a bounce <clears throat> in their engagement scores. And that's brilliant. You know, that's fantastic. That's what we're all trying to see happen. And we know, I mean, I spent a lot of time in, you know, looking at engagements, engagement surveys, trying to get underneath what's going on, really trying to track trends and, and help organisations work out where they can focus. <clears throat> And we often see there's a really strong uptick in teams that have got strong alignments to their organisation's purpose, where they feel quite empowered, where they're getting on and getting on with their work, where they feel very supported by their leader and the strong alignment. We always see that um, as a as a trend in engagements in engagement surveys anyway. And I think what it's done has the crisis is created that on an organisation wide level because it was really clear what had to be done. It was very simple. Leaders were very, very transparent around this is about survival. It's about Mm -hmm. looking after you. It's about looking after our customers. So I think all those great things we always say um, we want organisations to pay attention to when it comes down to engagement sort of sort of were created through the crisis, which is brilliant, you know, and actually it shows that organisations can do this. Um, I think my worry about whether it will be a bounce or not is a little bit to Joe's point. Were employees um, more tolerant of their organisations? Were they feeling more grateful because they were still in a role that they would maybe be furloughed or supported or able to work from home? Were given flexibility? You know, was that coming through in their in their scores? Probably. Um, it doesn't mean to say it will it will go back it will go back down again. Um, A couple of leaders we were talking to more recently were saying that they were noticing that some of their customer satisfaction scores were starting to come down. So one of the things that some organisations saw during the crisis was their actually customer satisfaction scores went up, which seems very, very odd given that people were trying to speak to people when they were at home with dodgy wi-fi mm-hmm. where systems were falling over where systems were going slow but i think customers were tolerant it was again that feeling we're all in it together we're being caring of each other we're respectful of the fact that people are going through different things um, but actually some firms are starting to see their customer satisfaction scores go down because customers are becoming less tolerant because things are becoming and feeling a bit more normal. So our expectations have shifted. And it did make me wonder, might that happen with employees? So as things start to feel a little bit more normal or a little bit like they used to be, do do employees start to feel the same way again? Do they start to switch on? Does the muscle memory come back? Do they start to say, oh, I'm not as tolerant of that anymore? Surely we, we shouldn't be letting that fly anymore. You know, leaders need to step up. And I'm not saying that will happen. I think it's just a little watch out. I mean, my big thing, and Joe said it was, if, you, if, you, if you're running engagement surveys, run them because you want to take action. Run them because you want to have a conversation with your people about what's going on, what's behind that data. Um, don't just run them because you want to measure and you want to get a score, because actually it's a totally wasted opportunity. So I think... There's been lots of great stuff for organisations to learn from in the crisis and they should use it as a springboard and realise that some of this stuff makes a difference and they can keep doing it. So um, probably a long a long answer for um, if what goes <laughs> up, does it come back down? But, you know, that's just my, my feelings on it and it's something I've been mulling over. 
Absolutely. And I mean, I, I would really kind of echo what you're both saying there. I mean, I think that, you know, the answer to, you know, if it goes up, does it have to come down? The answer is, you know, not necessarily. And I think that for every business that wants to see, let's say, you know, a tangible, not ROI necessarily, but like a tangible effect of having done something, you've seen that, you know, largely or off the back of this research, that, you know, where, Trust has been given more freely. Uh, the ability to work more autonomously has been offered. People have been offered, you know, greater flexibility. There's been, you know, greater, I suppose, empathy and understanding throughout the organization and the workforce. You've seen those advocacy scores. You've seen the um, identification with the values and the purpose of an organization go up. Therefore, one could very sort of simply make the case that this is the sort of stuff that has to stay now. Otherwise, you are going to start to see things going down. You can't, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. And I think that where there was, you know, let's say formerly a reticence to, um, you know, offering people more because, oh, well, what if we can't sustain it and people get upset when something is take, feels like it's being taken away? Um, you know, where are, the, where, are the, where are the threats there? You know, it's best just not to risk it and let's play it safe. Whereas, of course, over the last six months, let's say, playing it safe hasn't been an option. So... To switch gears, I suppose, to something that is very tangible, that's very kind of current, that's on everybody's uh, radar, is this idea of flexible working. You've touched on it a little bit there, but to sort of to get back into the idea of, you know, once you've sort of offered something, it's going to be more difficult to take it back. Does the research that you've done support the idea that flexible working is here to stay in sort of a larger format? Yeah, I think, you know, it's been a massive social experiment. And like you said before, you know, some of these things have been in plan people's plans, but this is this is absolutely forced people to deliver on that. Um, but it's it's still been an experiment. I think it's definitely here to stay in a large format. But again, we need to recognise that not everybody is equipped to to work flexibly. So we need to be really wary of the them and us elements. Um, and also, I like the fact that you've used flexible rather than working from home because. It's not just about working from home for me. It's about, you know, how do you just trust your people to get the job done? So measuring on outputs rather than time spent in the office, you know, presenteeism. So whether it's in a co-working space or a coffee shop or wherever that might be, I think the flexibility element is the key. And I think it's down to kind of everybody to understand and embrace that, that hybrid model where possible um, would be my view. Is there anything to add? I think that's spot on, Joe. And I think even some of the manufacturing companies we were talking to were, were still exploring what does flexibility mean for them. Um, so some of them had, had definitely seen um, a bit of them and us go on where their office, if office employees had been able to work from home and they're obviously people on the factory floor manufacturing weren't able to. In some organisations, they'd seen a bit of them and us happen. Mm-hmm. And so it was something they were conscious of and that they need to think about going forward. Others hadn't experienced that at all because of the quality of the conversation and the relationships that existed already across those organisations. I I do think um, that you can still be flexible, you know, in in your manufacturing space. I think you just need to explore that with your people. What does that mean? You know, is it the way that shift patterns are created? Is it the way that they um, they work in their in their team groups, etc.? So there's there there is lots of opportunity. And I would hope yeah. that organisations would have seen this as it's a great big test and learn. I'm a massive advocate for testing and learning from stuff. And 
and using it to to build forward so um i do i do think it, it is going to be the future i do think we will see more of it um i just hope organizations don't go those that go back into the office don't see it as a nice warm comfy jumper that they've put on again and get back into old old ways and old habits because i think then for those employees who really do want flexibility you know it could all disappear quite quickly which would be a massive shame yeah and just just on that in terms of the office and i think quite a few people we spoke to were were already thinking of of this and again it's back to kind of that that strategy priest but what is the role of the office so historically it's been you know a lot of desk space but a number of people that were planning on moving to new buildings anyway or refurbishing or whatever are creating more of a co-working space and a more of a collaboration space and a more of a space for events when we can eventually have them mm. of course but um but appreciating that people have enjoyed the flexibility and actually having a, a hub or an anchor point um, for people to come together rather than you need to a rule that you need to go into the office every single day. So I think that's interesting from a property perspective. Um, yeah. Excellent. I think that you've mentioned sort of them and us a couple of times, and I've had it put to me as well that, you know, this, there are some organizations, I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought up manufacturing because I think it's a, you know, it's, it's an area that I often hear referred to in terms of a company or, an, or rather a sector that might want to embrace these things, but for whatever reason, can't or, you know, not necessarily won't, but yeah, certainly kind of culturally or whatever, just it's not been something that they've been ready to, to implement or to, to embrace, right? What would you say to somebody from companies in similar sectors to that, who, for whatever reason, can't or won't be as flexible towards introducing these new ways of working? Yeah, I think, I think I would say talk to your people. Mm-hmm. as well like about about how they want to work so you know whether it's shift patterns whether you can build in some flexibility into contracts whether you can multi-skill um to enable more flexible working i think i do also think that we need to recognize that some jobs just can't be done flexibly mm-hmm. you know um so it's about how do you how do you make it more enjoyable for people to come into the office um, and not kind of a daily drudge and, and take into account their views about how they want to be and, and all the other things around engagement um, rather than just the environment. So I think there's still things that people can do to uh, listen to their people around flexibility, even if they have to come into a factory or, or be out with customers, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Claire? Excellent. Yeah. Uh, I've got nothing further to add on that, Joe. You, you <laughs> took the words right out of my mouth about talk to people, you know, explore it with them. Yeah. 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 And I'd say that for, for everything, you know, and I think the flexibility element for those, you know, some companies don't want to do it either. So even, you know, there's those that can't because of, of where people are based and the jobs that they do. But there are still some companies that don't don't want to move to flexible working, which I think is really interesting in terms of how they view their strategy in 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 terms of you know tapping into talent pools, in terms of engagement. So I think there's I think there's a couple of tensions that are going to arise there, which you know looking forward to seeing how it pans out because there's also a tension 
I will stop talking in a second, but there's a, there's a tension between people. People want flexibility. I think they've realised that they want more flexibility. But obviously, you've got the economy and the economic situation with potential recession, potential job cuts. So are people actually just going to be thankful that they have a job and do whatever the organisation says? Or is there going to be more of a dialogue as to how people work in the future? I don't know the answer. and It could be very different across different organisations, depending on what they're facing. Yeah, no. And, and that is a really interesting point that you made, Joe, because I think even sort of, you know, last year, um, I, I wrote a piece for, for Hive and it was talking about how sort of the certainly among kind of younger generations, you know, the attitude with regards to employment has moved away from, you know, oh, I'm lucky to be here. And it's more, you know, you're lucky to have me. So, you know, as we kind of see these attitudes becoming more prevalent, you know, firstly, to your first point, to your first point. Are we going to see maybe a dilution of that attitude in relation to, you know, just keeping your backside in your chair for, you know, six to 12 months? Or is the potential there for organizations who have maybe embraced a more sort of future facing attitude towards flexibility and all that kind of thing? Is this going to be sort of a bonanza for them as it relates to hoovering up all the talent? I mean, I don't know the answer to that either. That's just and just yeah, for everybody listening, that is not, we haven't planned that at all. That's just off the cuff. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it's an interesting, it's definitely an interesting yeah, thing to think about. I don't think about. anybody knows the answer. No, absolutely not. Yeah, um, and what I've also heard, I don't know whether you guys, sorry, sorry I don't know whether you guys have got a, a view on this, that kind of the younger generation, um, a, a lot of the younger generation actually really value those connections that they have in the office um, and the face-to-face times. What we found is something around the collisions that people um, and how valuable they are for the culture of the organization. So there's something to work on there about, so not just younger people, but all, all around is, is how those collisions work in a more flexible virtual world. 100%, 100%. What do you think, Claire, in relation to kind of these, you know, these organic moments of like of community essentially that just can't exist while we're, while we're all on, on zooms and stuff with each other. I, th- I think it's uh it's, it's something that over time and over these last few months, organizations have realized how much they are the fabric of how they work. Um, and I think then uh, initially at the start of the crisis, I think a lot, it was uh, people recognized those things were happening, but saw them all as social things. So you heard about the, let's have the Friday morning, bacon sandwich club or the Wednesday night quiz or the, you know, the, this, the, the lunch and learns, that sort of things, you know, the more social connections, but I actually think over time, and we explored this with quite a number of leaders we were talking to just to understand, you know, just to see whether or not that was on their radar and they, had they picked that up and were they even at noticing it themselves. I think it's the, it is the, we call them collisions, um, but it is the collisions that happen in, in the coffee shop or the restaurant or the smoking hut. Um, they do still exist. Um, the uh, behind the bike sheds or whatever, you know. Um, just, just passing somebody in the corridor or as you're parking your car or walking into the office and reception, there's all sorts of moments where you connect with people who are not in your normal sphere of work um and they can they can be um moments to connect to um have social connection but they can also be quite creative you can start talking about a topic with somebody 
um, and it can spark some ideas. It can prompt you to to resolve an issue or work out that was an, there's another person you need to go and speak to. But they also can be the sort of more informal um, routes for raising issues or concerns that you don't want to do in a formal way where, or you might have a worry or concern about. Um, all those sorts of things get sort of missed um, when we're totally work, working remotely. Um, and I think um, I think that that will have an impact and it's how you think about that and how you design that in, which is why I, I, I don't believe everybody will constantly work from home I think people will want to come together and and have those collisions and those connections socially and in in, in a more work environment as well and I think organizations need them organizations culture is really a whole load of interactions between each other and and people and if all those interactions are just through a video and and, and not face to face or as you bump into people I know we can't actually bump into people <laughs> anymore but you know what I mean um socially distance bumping into each mm-hmm. other I think I think they, they're gonna have to come back in some form you know and there will be virtual ways of doing that and they will have to be manufactured into ways of working and I think there, there will be ways of, of, of making that more effective but I do think it's it's something that I don't think leaders recognized early doors in a crisis and and why would they and why should they but actually as it went on I think they were recognizing it for themselves that they weren't seeing teams and certain people if they weren't in their remit and actually they would normally be connecting with others so I think from top to bottom uh, organizations will be missing that Absolutely. Uh, it, t- it ties into actually with this uh, this phrase that you had when we did the prep call, Joey, you talked about uh, culture by intention and not by accident. Um, and that that's that really kind of has has stayed with me. And I think it ties nicely into what Claire was talking about. But could you just unpack that for us a little bit? Yeah, I love that. I love that phrase, too. Um, because culture culture happens whether you whether you like it or not, whether you've designed it or not. As Claire said, it's created through those everyday interactions of people you know, by the processes that we put around the organization and by what's kind of allowed and not allowed, um, all of those unwritten rules, as it were. So, so it's there whether we, we like it or not. So kind of if you, if you don't pay attention about what you want your culture to look like, it'll happen. So be very intentional about what you're trying to create. And I see culture as an output um, rather than an input. You know, there's inputs in terms of behaviors, processes governance controls etc 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 that all create this culture so if you be very intentional about what you want that culture to look like at the end and then look at the inputs and what's creating that and how do you shift them how do you change them to create that new culture that you want or maintain the culture that you've got and what do you actually take away that is maybe hampering your culture you know if you want a culture of innovation for example you know, take, taking away some governance, taking away some of those controls would be very powerful and the stories that you tell, et cetera. So, so let's not just let culture happen by accident. Let's be intentional about what we want to create and therefore how we kind of create it, if that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense to me, yes. <laughs> Thank you for that. I, so I suppose in terms of an input then and the effect that it would have on the culture inside an organisation, Health and safety, right? That's a big thing these days, yeah? It is, yeah. So, you know, it used to be the case that 
I mean, you know, I've, you know, I, you think about things like near misses and, you know, recording a trip and a fall on a sheet and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, procedurally, I can see that that was all very necessary. Right. But just if I think about what has to happen for me to get to work on the days that I do come in the office, it's, you know, drive to the Metro, put my mask on, hand sanitize on the Metro, hand sanitize off the Metro, have my mask on as I'm walking down the street come into the office, hand sanitize, take my temperature, write that down on the attendance sheet, get to my desk, antibacterial, everything. Then I have to do my day's work. Like, I totally understand why that is. I want to keep myself and everybody around me safe, right? That's just what we want to do as good people. But are we creating an atmosphere, a, a rather a culture inside organizations of like, it, are we just teaching people to be careful or are we teaching people to be scared in a way and you know where does that sort of nerfing of everything like where's the intersection between we want to keep you safe and then but we also want you to be self-sufficient do you know what do you know what i mean does that make sense yeah it does i mean it is it is really difficult isn't it i mean we all should know all the best practice now we've had six months of knowing you've just described it off pat you know do, do you need all the reminders and all the signs up and everything else to remind you that that's, you know, that's good practice and that, that keeps you and your colleagues safe? I, I don't know. I think it is really important and putting the health and safety and well-being of employees at, at the top of agendas, you know, is really, really important. It is, isn't it? Um, and, and, you know, wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with that at all. I think my take, out, take on it is, and, and it goes to Joe's point about, being intentional about your culture and the thinking about an intervention and it's a massive intervention for all sorts of organizations isn't it and for and within our lives all this stuff to do with hand sanitizing and wearing masks and keeping our distance etc and, it, and it's all designed to help I think um, it's how it gets implemented I think you've got to be paying attention to and really thinking about I think there's a danger that organisations, because they are putting people first and panicking maybe to a little degree about we don't want to spread COVID within the organisation, we don't want them to catch it, we don't want them, you know, we want to keep them safe. You could tend to become a bit like the parents and your employees are a bit like your child. And so I think it can that can bleed into a little bit in terms of how you design those safety interventions, the language you use, you know, and I and I think it's just a little I, I feel like it's a little watch out for organizations is don't if you if you've got you know don't allow it to become a parent child um organization because even if it's temporary it's still intentional and it'll still have some impact on your culture that you'll have to unwind at some point. So I think I think being being careful about the language you use and the style of language um the words you use and help people feel like adults that are, are being given advice but they can make their own and the right choices because actually they know the right decisions anyway and i think there's a danger as well of disempowering leaders and team leaders in something like this um, actually let them work it out with their teams the best way to organize themselves the best way to to be sitting apart, etc. What will work for them? You don't feel like you have to take every decision for the whole organisation as a mm -hmm. as a project team delivering health and safety. It it is a something to just be mindful of. I'm sure most organisations are, and they're not, you know, making it feel um, 
like a, a total set of rules and a, and making people feel like children when they walk into the office or the workspace. But um, I know this is a this is one of your things as well, Joe. I don't know whether um, you you want to add anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, health and safety is a really interesting one, isn't it? I think I was just reflecting as you were talking there as well, Claire. So, so Claire and I had a lot to do with uh, health and safety and language um, when we worked in corporate world and, and shifting that um and but those, those are things like you know reverse parking uh because it's safer to drive out of a space than back into a space it, holding the handrail as you walk down the stairs and and things like that so you know historically health and safety has been quite parent child in terms of telling you what to do and what not to do i also think there's something though about people want some guidance at the moment you know it's a very uncertain world and um, you know, the, obviously, we all know the dangers of COVID and people actually want their organisation to say, actually, this is what we're going to do and this is best practice. I think the danger is them just taking that too far um, mm. and and how you enforce it. So, you know, Claire, I totally agree with you in terms of leaders and their teams getting together, figuring out the best way to do it and, and keeping that element of empowerment within a, a framework, if if you like. Mm-hmm. And essentially, I think kind of, I suppose, making it something of a spectrum as well. I mean, I've seen uh, examples um, in an organization, I'll, I'll give them a shout out, actually, at the FSCS, for example, they've brought in a thing uh, where part of their sort of welcome backpack as it relates to go to work is they have three little jelly bracelets, red, yellow and green, and you wear the color that corresponds to your sort of anxiety level or to your like openness to having other people interact with you so if you're a green you could be you know someone could stand quite close to you maybe give you a high five but if you're a red it's you know please make sure you keep your distance I might be shielding or a little bit more worried or or whatever it might be um so i've seen that as being sort of a you know quite a you know a pretty simple but yet quite effective way to give people the choice as to how they Mm -hmm. interact back in the workplace um and I think secondly, to your point there, Joe, to kind of to, to agree that people do want a bit of a steer about what the best policy is and to kind of feel a bit of certainty, I think, because, you know, not to get political, but I think we've all understood recently that things can be a little bit confusing at the best of times, you know, maybe not make the, not make the most sense. Um, so, yeah, I think that where an organization can maybe be that source of, let's say, consistent information um yeah. you know i think that could that could only benefit them <laughs> are we getting uh, are we getting ben are we getting political here or or do we stay uh, away from that in your podcast no you can say whatever <laughs> you want on this podcast it's fine <laughs> yeah. um yeah but yeah i think um and no well yeah not too political eh? that was a safe answer no. i think we'll do that um, cool well yeah. you've both been very generous with your time i have uh, sort of one more multi-threaded question to ask if I may um, and it's just for the people listening to this really who you know they've enjoyed everything and then after maybe a little bit of a, a summing up so what's like one thing that a company could start day, doing today that would make a difference to their culture and I guess the follow-up question for that would be like more widely how could an HR practitioner sort of make sure that they're seizing this moment in time and that they're not letting any opportunities pass them by Do you want to go first, Claire? Go on then. It's a good, it's a good question. Um, it is a good question. I think in terms of HR teams, I think um, that they're massively involved in everything that's going on at the moment. So I think it's a great opportunity to influence and to 
um, really put your stamp on your organisation. But I definitely would make sure you've taken the moment and the opportunity to really understand what you've learned from a people and behaviour and organisational engagement perspective and really think about as you start to put your plans together for next year and you start to look at what's going on is use this moment in time to really understand what's been going on and what you can learn from um, and what you can take forward. And then I think just generally, you know, if I was advising all organisations, it's a build on that, I suppose, but be really intentional about those behaviours and those changes. Don't leave it to chance. Um, you've got to keep reimagining how your organisation can shape up and what it can look like in the future, but be intentional about it. Love it. Oh, good ones, Claire. Good ones. <laughs> I would say, I would say from an HR perspective, as you said, Claire, they're in a, in a unique position. So joining the dots, joining the dots across areas, across strategy, across functions, um, because HR often got to see you know, the multiple levels of, of the system, as it were. So that would be the HR one. Then the wider organisation, I would say, include your people, talk to your people, listen to them, take action, involve them as much as you possibly can in what the future looks like. Um, two reasons. One is, I guess, that you know, if people are involved in change, they're much more likely to accept it and it'll, it'll work. So that's one. And then two is that conversations change things as well as actions. So conversations and joint sense making can create massive change. And if you bring your people together and get involved in that, I think that's where real change can happen. Fantastic. I think that's some excellent points to to end the show with. So Claire, Joe, thank you very much for joining me. Um, for anybody who wants to hear more about you, um, excuse, I was going to say you guys again, but I'm trying to be better here about you both. <laughs> you folks, you peeps, uh, and maybe hear a bit more about Curious Jellyfish as well. Is LinkedIn the best place for them to reach you for a first initial hello? Yes, absolutely. We've got a company page on LinkedIn. We've got a website, www.curiousjellyfish.com. Uh, happy to just have a bit of a chat, bit of a call, whatever people would like. And yeah, love, love to make connections. Fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Thanks, thank you both very fun. much for joining me. Thanks, Ben. Enjoyed that. It's a great conversation. Great. I'll speak to you both soon. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, and that was Claire and Joe from Curious Jellyfish, and a massive thank you to both of them for coming on. I think what they were talking about, uh, especially being deliberate and intentional in the design of your organizational culture, was uh, was really important and is an important thing to uh, carry forwards as we go on. But... That's enough from me for this week, everybody. Thank you all very much for listening. If you have any comments or feedback, get me on LinkedIn. You can find me. It's Ben Lind. And of course, as always, I would encourage you to give Claire and Joe a follow as well. That's it, everybody. Thank you all very much for your kind attention. And until next time, stay engaged.